I am thrilled with today's guest, George uh, George Conway. George, uh, unless you've been under a rock, you don't know. You would not know that he's uh, one of the most outspoken Trump critics lately. Uh, counselor, former Wachtell attorney, former Trump, you know, insider. Um, one of the smartest guys around. Former member of the head of the Federalist Society at Yale Law School. Well, we got a lot to talk about, man. Not, huh. <laughs> nice to talk to you, man. I really appreciate you being here. I don't remember that far back. <laughs> uh, yeah. How did you, as a young guy, you know, because growing up, it was counterintuitive to be as conservative as you were. Uh, you, you. I grew up in Massachusetts. Well, well they were a- all kind of off the wall. I mean, yeah, off the wall, not conservative. So, how did you go down that Correct. path? How did you go down that path? What because, was- because, because, I, because I was, you know, I'm always been a contrarian, and you know, I mean, every there was all this. Massachusetts was a very strange place because it was, it was obsessed with this Kennedy worship, which I didn't understand. I mean, I feel sorry for what happened to them, but it's like, okay, one of them, one of them got almost got into World War Three, and the other one drove off a bridge. I, I, and, and Bobby, you know, Bobby for Bobby. I mean, he, he just, that. but it's like, I didn't understand. I mean, the worship, the Ken, it's just, there was just reflexive aspects to it. And I went to college at Harvard, which is very liberal. And everybody thinks they know it all. And they really think they really don't. They do, but they don't. I mean, they're smarter than the average person on, in the phone book. But, but you know, they, they, we, we don't know everything, even if we, even if we know a lot. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I just am a contrarian and that that's sort of how I ended up where I ended up. I, it's interesting. That, that's a long story. I can be more specific. I can be more specific about, you know, different subjects. Well, well, it's interesting. There was one thing in your childhood that stuck out to me that your, your mom is Filipino and that you remember right. a you remember a specific moment as a young adolescent in a parking lot where you kind of first got your oh, first yeah. peak at yeah, racism, yeah, yeah. which would lead it somebody wasn't, to- It wasn't my first peak at racism. I mean, I, I, I mean I, you're referring to a piece that I wrote in the Washington Post now, like yes. four years ago, I think, Yeah. Um, after the then president of the United States called, I guess, the four, what did they call the squad? Called go the back, squad, go back to your country, which was what you had heard. Oh, right. Look, my, my, look I, I was ha- half Asian, I'm half Filipino, and yeah, I took, I took, uh, you know, I took, uh, you know, people call me chink um, from time to time. Um, but I got as much, I got as much hassle for wearing glasses, you know, as I did for being half Asian. It wasn't, I, I'm not going to say it wasn't, per- it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't so bad. And it didn't really, it didn't really impact me in 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 a way that made me feel like, I, I was resentful of the majority or or felt diminished because of it. It was like, it was just one of, one, you know, it, to me, it, it felt like just one of those things where everybody has something that they get, they get made up fun of for, you know, whether they're fat, they're, they, 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 they're funny looking or they're, you know, and, and I didn't, I didn't internalize it in that way. And I also, and this is the flip side of it, this was a time where, you know, we perceived in the mid '70s when I was in junior high school that we had engaged, we, we had done, we had in, 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 had finished and completed an amazing amount of racial progress in my lifetime. And I couldn't, you know, like my lifetime, it seemed like it was 1963 was 100 years ago, and but it was like there was an optimism, like, oh yeah, yeah, there are these jerks here and there. You know, you got Archie Bunker, ha ha ha. 
and you've got all these people, but they're all dying off and everything's going to be better. And we're going to live in this world real soon where nobody's going to give a shit about race and ethnicity. That was my view. And yeah. that was sort of this optimistic view that I had. And so you're talking about this event one time where um, I was in a parking lot with my mother. It was probably 11 or 12. It was the mid 70s, 13. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I guess my mother and this woman got into a tiff about a parking spot that maybe my mother took and that she that this other woman thought she was entitled to. Was this a precursor and to Karen? Was this an early Karen? Was this an early Karen, I, I, Karen I, I, moment? I, this, was, this, was, this was probably Karen's mom okay. <laughs> um, or grandmom. I don't know. Or aunt, worse. Um, aunt Karen. Karen's Aunt Karen. Uh, so we're out of the car and this woman starts yelling at my mother and says, go back to your country. And, and I, I didn't really think that much of it then. I thought, oh, what a jerk. This woman's a jerk. Um, but whatever. She's an idiot. And most people are okay. And my thinking, again, over the course of time is these idiots would just sort of fall away and they'd, they'd lose influence. There'd just be fewer of them because, you know, the, the, the culture is moving the right way. It's moving toward non-obsession with race, which is what I hoped we would be long before 2023, but we, we aren't for lots of different reasons. So anyway, so I wrote this piece when Trump said, go back to your country to the four, uh, the squad ladies and the squad women, AOC and I guess Tlaib and um, who are the other two? Hey, uh, anyway, um, Tlaib, AOC, uh, Iman um, and yeah, Omar Amara yeah, and- Omar, uh, okay. yeah. Yep. One other, right. One other from, I think from Massachusetts. All, um, so so um, that occurred to me as like, okay, that's racist. Because, and it just, it just, it's just like, and I wrote this piece about basically saying like this, we have the president of the United States saying the same shit that this, this, you know, Karen said to my mother when it was clearly racist 50 years ago. What, 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 what is going on here? We have, we, we've, 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 we've backtracked. That was unacceptable then. And now we have the president of the United States saying like that. I mean, that was essentially the thrust of it. And, and I, I called, I called the president a racist. And I meant that in the fall, you know, his defense, the defense was, and I kind of touched upon this, is kind of what Lindsey Graham has said in the past. He's not really racist. Basically, he's an equal opportunity asshole. Yeah, he's transactional and, racist. Right, right. Know, he's transactional. Like, this is my black person. If he likes you, you're, you're a black, yeah. per you're, you're a great, you're a great American. If he doesn't like you, for yeah. all we know, he may have used some improper language we don't know. Maybe on tape somewhere we don't know, um, and it. But my view is, it doesn't matter if you use that language. You are engaging in racism. Mm -hmm. If you use language like "go back to your country," and it doesn't matter whether or not there are people of that same ethnicity who you like and are nice to. It's just you are you are using a racial epithet, and therefore, or racial con a phrase with racial. Therefore, you're a racist. What's interesting about that now is that with Trump's incredible narcissism it really is true that he's not he's not a racist he's a misanthrope i agree i ha I, ha I happen to agree with you and I've, I've known him for years i he doesn't have enough i'm going to try to say this the right way he doesn't have enough even take on humanity to be racist it's just that every right, right, you, right, you, right. no that's right that's right that's right 
the Omarosa, we've really gone off of, you know, to a tangent here, but it's fine. <laughs> Omarosa said that he once, he, he said that, that Trump once called me something or other that was racist. And I didn't believe it because it's just like, it would require him to know something about the Philippines in the 1940s, whatever it was he said that, mm-hmm. you know, that he probably doesn't know. That said, even though he's just, he's just a narcissistic, malignant, psychopathic, misanthrope who is an equal opportunity hater of anyone he thinks doesn't support his, uh, you know, his, his current desires of the moment. He is a demagogue who has, has fanned the flames of racism intentionally for his own transactional right. advance. And, and that's, that's, that's even worse than your mm-hmm. run of the mill parking lot racist because he he basically has created this permission structure for all the people like that woman who accosted my mother in 1975 to go out and basically be open about their racism. And, you know, that to me, I, you know, I feel very naive because I just thought, you know, I, I projected good qualities onto people and my view was like, oh, this is all going away. Yeah. And you- it pretty much gone away. And, 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 you know, it's back now with, with, with a vengeance. And all of a sudden I feel like, well, what, what was I thinking? And, and I almost sound woke now, but I'll, all I ever wanted. <laughs> George, George, Con- thought, George I Conway, thought- George Conway woke. I love it. You don't usually put those three well, things in the I, same sentence. Those three words don't I, usually go together. I, all, I, all, I, all I ever wanted was I, what I thought we all wanted. And I thought particularly conservatives wanted was a country, a, a, the, what, what, Martin Luther King was saying everyone should want, which is a colorblind country where we don't, we're not obsessed in, about putting people in boxes. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate their differences and we have fun um, doing that and, 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 and appropriating each other's cultures, if I may. And, but but I, I don't know. I just, it, it, is, it is to me, the, it's just unfathomable that we are where we are yeah. because we're, way, we're actually just, we're actually behind where we were 55 years ago. Yes, we are. Look at the, look at the, don't, I mean, I, and, and this is, you know, I, I, I've never been, you know, a rainbow flag waver. It's just like, okay, yeah. you want to wave a flag? That's great. Free country, do whatever sure, you like. Sure. I, you know, well, you do your thing. I do my thing. God bless you. Um, 50 years ago, remember Anita Bryant? I mean, she was oh, basically. God. That's it. She was the precursor. She yeah, she was a precursor she, to this. Not to only was she precursor, she was she the, the 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 legislation, the local legislation. I think, and people from Miami can correct me, but that the that she was pushing in Dade County was basically don't say gay. It yeah. was the nineteen seventies. Don't say gay. Don't talk about gay people in the public schools or wherever because it's affecting our children. It was literally what we have now on steroids being pushed by. DeSantis and everybody this else. This Florida state right, government. Right, right. And what happened to, but remember, if you remember what happened to Anita Bryant in the late 70s, she destroyed her career because yeah. people viewed her as being, you know, out of touch, extreme and spiteful, which she was at the time. Yeah. And now the spite is basically institutionalized yeah. on, 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 on podcast, television networks, and, and by a, basically by a political party. It, 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 it is... You've got me started. It was like, this is the thing that sort of I, I wake up and I see this and it's like, 
how did this happen? I, I, five years ago, six years ago, I didn't see it happening. I saw Trump being bad, but I didn't. I, 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 there was just a lot of different things going on here that, that really kind of stunned me as somebody who was born, you know, when I was born in 1963, which is like I saw through the 70s and the 70s, I thought, oh man, the 70s are a little excessive and people got out of control and there were too much drugs, although they're fun. And uh, we, you know, we, we'll, we'll, things will normalize and people are going to be cool with each other and we'll live happily ever after. Because that's the way, you, you know, the 70s were a tough time in a lot of ways, right. the early 70s. But you really, you know, think that because of the Vietnam War and, 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 and the culture change, but you actually felt like it was calming down. And there was going to, there was a little consolidation to the Reagan era, but, but, but everybody, you know, in the Reagan era, the conservatives were talking about, you know, just equal opportunity. Treat so everybody what, so, equal. so, so, so let, let me ask you, you just said, I knew Trump was a big guy. You, you wept on inaugural night, so proud of your wife. I and did. Ex- excited. So what was the tipping point? Was it Com- Comey? What were you just kind of said, whoa, I, I know Trump's a bad guy and I can't be a part of this anymore. Was, was there a moment for you when you kind of just flipped to the other side? Look, there was a sequence of moments, and I don't. It's I I I I, I think I, I don't think there was any one moment, but there were a sequence of moments where I got farther and farther uh, off the off the campus, and this is coming from somebody who did not, you know, I I kind of knew Trump vaguely because mm-hmm. I had purchased an apartment when I was single, and then my wife lived in it with me, um, with us in the at Trump World Tower, and I kind of got to know him just a touch. And then she got on the board of the condo, and she got to know him. But we were, you know, I was again, and so was Kellyanne, we, we didn't think Trump should be president. And, you know, we I didn't support him. And he was like the last person I wanted, other than maybe Jeb, because, you know, Jeb was too low energy. <laughs> but I thought, okay, Sorry, we yeah. got to make the best of it. And, you know, he's against Hel- and there's Hillary and we know Hillary. We don't know. You know, I went, the, I went to the devil I didn't know. And I just projected, as I said earlier, that, you know, here's a guy who's been every, through everything. He's a wise ass. Yeah, Clinton, you know, other politicians are wise asses and they're egotistical. And, you know, he'll just, he'll get over that. And, and, and as you get older, you mature. It's like, no, no, no. Like, I did not understand that this man had, uh, you know, I never took psychology. In, in college or any, any, I don't really read much about it until the last few years. And I didn't know what, you know, I, I, I didn't even know what a narcissist was. I yeah. mean, I thought a narcissist was like a hedonist, you know, somebody who liked to go fool around and go, you know, go, go to, uh, you know, hedonism tour or right. Jamaica or something, you know. That's what I thought a narcissist was. I didn't fully understand what a narcissist actually was until Sometime in the early, sometime in the fall of 2017, I read this article in Rolling Stone called, um, you know, basically, is Donald Trump, does Donald Trump have narcissistic personality disorder? And basically, does that explain everything? And I read this and I read about narcissistic personality disorder. And this author, her, she's a very good writer, her name is um, Morris, what's more, Alexa Morris, she just went through. The nine DSM, the, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Psychiatric Disorders, the, uh, the, the DSM criteria 
for a diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder. And when you go through that- He checks every box. He checks and, most and, boxes for a sociopath it, it, also. I mean, if you look uh, up the uh, classic yes, he definition- does. He, does. he Absolutely, he does. He does. And I ended up writing 11,000 words in the Atlantic on that. And I actually want to write something more about it. But, um, you know, and I realized all of a sudden that was it. Because I was wondering, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Right? During the, when he got into the- The transition was okay. Everybody was kissing his ring- so he was happy, right? Mm -hmm. it, so it seemed like, okay, he's going to, he, he's kind of, you know, looking like a president elect. And then he gets in and then all sorts of stupid stuff starts happening, you know, and then he fires Comey. And then, um, so at that point, I'm wondering like, what is wrong with this guy? Doesn't he learn? What is it? And then finally, it's like, I started reading all the psych stuff after, after I read that Rolling Stone article, and I realized this guy, this guy is, has the same destructive personality orders that the great tyrants of history have. He's a malignant narcissist. He's a narcissistic sociopath. He's, you know, fortunately, we live in a system with sufficient checks and balances that he can't just have a military coup, although he tried. Bare barely. Uh, I mean, you know, well, I mean, but we came yeah, so, yeah. so close, if, if, if not for we Brad Raffensperger, so yeah. I mean, we all know how close yeah. we came to this shit being over. Yes. I mean, you know. Yes, yes. And, 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 and remember, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been dismissive of the possibility of Trump resurrecting himself in 2024, but these no labels people could actually put this fucker back in the White House. Mm -hmm. Um, can I use fucker on the podcast? Is yes. Okay? As a matter of fact, we encourage it. We encourage it. Yes. Okay. Fucker. Okay. I call him a fucker. We, I, what do you call him? I call him a douche. It's interesting. I knew him about as well as somebody could know Trump in the past. I mean, I yes. was, I was quote unquote. I know a, that. I know a, that. I heard, I, I heard that on morning Joe once. Yeah. I mean, a friend and, and the definition of a friend is he, I, he did three episodes of the apprentice in my old ad agency. When I had my agency, he used to do my CNBC <laughs> to, talk show. We, they came up. And they did a task. Yeah. At my, it was a, and he used to go on my CNBC talk show, and I lived in one of his buildings, and we did charity. So, you know, he would call oh, me which a Which building friend. did you live in? 502. Uh, with the old Delmonico on 502 Park. So actually, oh, the guys okay, are really, okay. really nice. You know. And so, you know, I always knew, people ask, well, you know, I always thought, look, you would never do business with this guy. You know, he's full of shit. He's a lounge act. But you never, I never saw the evil in him. But yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Fun to hang around with. Yeah. You, you never thought... You never thought, and I also thought when he got elected, I remember going on Morning Joe the next morning and said, don't, don't worry. He so needs to be loved that, and he so wants the celebrity love and all the people, the right people that he really just kind of goes after that. He's going to make a pivot because the guy could have been fucking Reagan. The guy had, here's the thing you don't know, this, the one thing that never you can, and as a contrarian. Yeah, he's, got he's got this weird kind of charisma. He, he has, does have this weird kind of charisma. He could have had everybody. He had the entire base. Just pivot a little bit. He wasn't going to lose them, and he could have been this beloved guy. That's the psychology I never understood about this guy. That well, he, yeah, he could yeah, have had it's it very simple. It's, it's right. They're, they're because he's such an extreme narcissist. Narcissists need the feeling to be loved. Okay, and and all politicians are narcissistic to that extent. Bill Clinton was narcissistic because he just he's always trying to win everybody over. He wants yeah. to feel everyone's love. You know, I mean. Different ways, um, but he, he, in very different he, ways, um, right? Right. Very different ways, but you know, at the end of the day, he has some level of empathy. When he lost his first congressional race in, I guess it was seventy four, seventy six, or seventy, I forget when it was. Um, he was so he was so distraught. He started walking around 
supermarkets in Little Rock walking up to shoppers and saying, man, why, 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 why didn't you did, vote for did me? you vote for me? And why right. didn't you vote for me? And it's like, because he, you know, there was something, Trump doesn't, is, is a, such a pathological narcissist, he just develops a hatred for anyone he doesn't think is for him at a given moment. Yeah. I mean, that's, he can't, he can't put it behind him. And that's, that's the problem. And that when, when you have, and that, that makes him, I mean, for lots of different reasons, um, other reasons as well, his, pa his, his pathological, his psychopathy. But it, the narcissism piece of it makes him so sensitive to criticism, even if he otherwise were okay, which he isn't, he couldn't serve as president because you just can't take, you, you have to be able to ignore 99.9% .9 of what people are saying about you. And if you let it bother you and you respond, you destroy yourself. And Richard Nixon said that, I think, on the day he resigned, um, you know, in the, in the East Room. And it's true. And that's what Trump does to himself. I mean, it's, it's not happened quickly enough, but you look at the, look at the Mueller report. He didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't colluding with Russia. The Russians don't want to collude with him. He's a moron. Why would you have to collude with him? There's no evidence that he personally was colluding. Yeah, they had their, their hooks into Manafort, whatever. But, but nevertheless, so all Trump had to do is just say, this investigation doesn't concern me. Let the chips fall where they may. Well, and then, awesome. you know, for these people who had stupid meetings like Manafort, it's like, well, I, I can't believe he did that. That's outrageous. And I didn't know about it. But instead, he tries to obstruct the investigation. He can't help himself. Can't help he himself. He committed obstruction. He, he made, you know, there's a, the two, second volume of the Mueller report is all about him obstruction, committing yeah. obstruction of justice. And it was complete. All he had to do was just fucking ignore the investigation, let the yeah. lawyers handle it, and be president. Well, all he had to do was give the give the boxes back. I mean, it's just it's that's what's so amazing. The moments that this guy, yeah. the self destructive, yeah. that the moments he yes. had. By the way, he could. This yeah. could have all been. I want to read a quote right. for you. Let's, we let's, not, we, 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 all he had to do was say, okay, take the box. Back. But let's get into the case, to the, in, into the documents, because you have a great quote. You go, it's absolutely historic. I mean, this is probably the most significant politically, most significant historically, most historically important criminal case since the Aaron Burr case at the beginning of the 19th century when he was tried for treason. Uh, you said that on CNN yeah. a, a couple of days ago. Uh, we are living through history, my friend. I mean, this you could not make this stuff up. No, it is, it is historic. It is bizarre. And and um, unfathomable, we, something we couldn't have managed, ma imagined a few years ago. But it, it is happening. It is real, and it is history. And I don't know. Uh, people a hundred years from now are going to look back and say, "What was in the water back then?" Yeah. So you I mean, you've also said you believe that he's going to end up in jail. You and and a lot of legal yes. pundits. I mean, the case by anybody's standard is kind of an open and closed case. You could you've said that he could have one tenth of the one tenth of the evidence, and you would still put him away. So Correct. play this. So war game this for me. Interesting today in the news, which I was pleasantly surprised that the Florida judge did not stall, put an initial I think August fourteenth, which obviously will be pushed back a little bit, but the balls are moving. So play this out for me as best as you can. And, and nobody has a crystal ball, but I'm curious your take how this plays out. All right. So look, I mean, I, I think people are overreading the significance of this morning's order. It's just the standard order that that 
apparently they issue in all criminal cases and you get them in civil cases and other districts. So it's like basically you get some pro forma schedule that's very tight. And then, but the only date that really matters is the first date is when you make, you know, you go in to see the judge for a scheduling conference. And then you basically talk about dates with them and you tell them, well, it's going to take six months to take all these depositions. And in the the criminal case, you know, it's going to take three, four months to to produce all the uh, all the all the documents that that were required to produce under the under Brady and under there's nothing under Brady but under under the Jenks Act, and um, you know, and then and then there are going to be motions under the Classified Information Protection Act as to how protocols as to, as to how confidential information in the litigation has to be handled because uh, this confidential information is top secret, it is classified information. And it's, you know, it's going to be required that Trump's lawyers, uh, whoever they end up being, and it doesn't appear that he has anyone right now, have to have security clearance, as do the government lawyers who probably already have security clearances. The judge doesn't need one, the jury doesn't need one, but everybody else who is going to be working on that trial, um, you know, as a clerk or whatnot, has to have a security clearance and they got to they clear everybody and they got to do all that. And it's a lot of work. And then they have to decide what protocols they have to use in the courtroom to present uh, classified information to the jury without allowing it to be released publicly. And that would be probably sitting there, they'd have little TV screens in front of them where they can see the classified documents and they'll be wearing headsets and they can hear a witness's testimony about that. But you or I sitting in the gallery would not be able to see what the hell was going. Interesting. But, you know, and so, so there's a lot of work to be done. And this judge, you know, the, the, the biggest power that she has over the conduct of this litigation is the pace of it, because mm-hmm. there are going to be plenty of reasons and opportunities to let the thing drag. I sure. mean, there are lots of motions and some judges are very slow. Like they take a month or two to decide a motion that, that, with, a, with a 10 page opinion. And then there are other judges who will write that 10 page opinion in two days and say, okay, next motion. And, and you know, there's a difference and, and the time that it takes to handle various things that comes up adds up. And that's why you see cases, civil or criminal, going to trial three, four or five years after the time the complaint or the indictment is filed. This case is simple enough that if you had, I think a, a top notch federal judge who doesn't take any bullshit, who's smart as hell and who realizes the importance of having this case resolved, not just to the parties, but to the, to the, to the United States of America and its people. I think that kind of judge could get this, you know, and I defer to federal prosecutors, but I think the case is simple enough, notwithstanding the classified information issues that it could be tried within a year by next summer. And, um, there would have been, I think, a better chance of that if the case had been brought, although I understand he, there are very good and sufficient reasons not to bring it there, had this case been Jersey, brought in the District in of Columbia where the, judges, in, where the judges have extensive experience with espionage cases and, and, and classified documents and know the procedures under, under this SIPA law. That said, I, I, there is no reason why if, Eileen Cannon wants to redeem herself and wants to be known as having, in the end, done the right thing. For her, she's smart enough to do it. She has a, you know, I, I don't, I don't think she's dumb. I think she's reasonably smart. I think she just got off on the wrong direction and 
you know. Why did she get off in the wrong direction? Right. Well, no, she did. You know, she was the judge, as you may recall, or your, your listeners may recall, who got the initial case that Trump brought when the grand jury subpoena was executed. Yes, yes. Um, Right. He brought this crazy, crazy case in Florida that ended up before Judge Cannon, where he basically sought an injunction against the government's investigation until they did such and so and turned over documents and did this. He basically wanted a federal district judge or magistrate judge and then a federal district judge to basically micromanage the government's investigation, which is which is ridiculous, does not happen. There was no basis for it. And it frankly violates the separation of powers. And you know, she did that for a while, and then a, a conservative panel. panel of oh, they, evi- they eviscerated her. They eviscerated they, her. They completely eviscerated her, and and rightly so. I mean, the, her order was just off the wall and bizarre, and I don't know what got her into thinking she could do that. But I think after everything that's happened, and this is, this is again, you know, I, I tend to project positive qualities onto people who may or may not have them, which is how I ended up thinking maybe Trump would be okay. I hope and pray that she realizes that the way she, you know, that she, you know, took a big hit and justifiably so for how she got the first case wrong and that she can redeem herself by conducting a straight down the middle of the road trial in as, in as efficient a manner as possible. And, and she should be able to do that because she's smart enough. And one of the things you can do as, as a young district judge is you can call up other judges and say, Hey, I got this situation. What do you, you know, you bounce things. The judges bounce things. Sure. They're human beings. They're human beings. Yeah. I mean, they're human and they have the right and they, and they have the right to, because Mm -hmm. they're, they're the only people they can really talk to are other judges. And you can get a lot of institutional knowledge and wisdom. If you're a young judge, in any court, frankly, not just the federal district bench, um, from talking to people who have done this for twenty or thirty or forty years. Some of some of who are very can be very helpful colleagues. Some of them are, some of them maybe not. But and and I, I just think I just hope and pray that you know her best angels um, overcome her and that she lives up to her, her oath and really tries to play this one down the middle. And I think if if the judge just plays this down the middle. Um, there is no way he does not get convicted. What's the defense? What, what are you right now? You're hired as his defense attorney because it just, I'm not a lawyer. I, I play one on TV sometimes like we all do, but I'm curious, what would be your defense of this? Because it seems so indefensible and that's a naive thing to say, obviously. I, 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 I honestly, I tell him to plead. I, I yeah. don't, there is no defense. no defense. His best play would be, he's, which he's never, as you know, no, not going to happen as well as anyone. Not going to happen. It's never going to happen. He, no. He's going to, he, he'll, he, he'll, he'll, he'll cause rioting. In, in, in Florida and, and in Washington before he pleads guilty. Um, he does not have a defense. Um, in his defense, I said, I t- tweeted something like this this morning. It's like in Trump's defense, he has no defense. Yeah. So he's spouting out all this gibberish because he's, he's, he's got nothing. The facts, he's, he's nailed to the wall with the facts. All the government has to prove to go 37 for 37 on the indictment charges would be basically one. He took the documents. Okay, there's no, there is no moral dispute. No. At all in this universe. Two, he knew he took the documents. 
well, he went through them himself. He waved some sure. of them around. He talked about them. Three, that the government asked for the documents back repeatedly, in fact. Well, that's all documented. Narrow, you know, Narrow was asking for this shit for months, and then the government and then the DOJ got involved, and the DOJ subpoenaed it. And, and, and you know, four, he didn't give the documents back. And we know that. He gave only some of them back to NARA back in January of, of 2022. Then he got subpoenaed and gave a few more things back, but law and they had his lawyers lie that he'd given them all back. And then they, you know, lo and behold, government executes this search, search warrant and there's a shitload of documents left. So yeah, he, he, he had the documents. He didn't give them back. Right there, that's enough to convict him under section 793E of the Espionage Act, which, which prohibits the willful retention of government, of, of national defense information that secured, uh, um, of, of secret national government defense information uh, upon request from the government. If the government asks you for, you know, national defense information that you have back and you do not give it back, you violate that provision without more. It doesn't matter whether you had the, re the, the, the documents for, for, for some reason that you thought was justified. It doesn't matter. If you don't give them back, you go to jail. And then there are the other two things, the other two things that, that the government can prove, which will put, you know, which, which will allow the, the government to go 37 for 37 is that he was moving the documents around and concealing them. Mm -hmm. He hid them from his own lawyers. So his own lawyers would make false statements to the government about whether the documents would turn back. And then he caused, he caused one of his lawyers to make a false certification that the subpoena had been complied with. And lo and behold, again, the, the government found countless documents when they came back in August to execute the search warrant. That's one. And then the other thing, you know, yeah, it's basically he moved around and he lied. And that's obstruction. So there, literally there is no factual defense to any of that. We've got the sequence of events. It's documented that he has the, 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 the materials. It's documented that he knows, knew he had the materials because he went through them. He was moving them around. It's documented that the government asked that he didn't get them back and that he lied and moved them around because that's on video. There is nothing that the government cannot prove as to any of these counts beyond a reasonable doubt. It is, it is, it, it, if, if there, you know, if it were possible, and it isn't because under the Constitution to grant basically a summary judgment without a trial on a criminal on a criminal case, this would be it. Yeah, is there any chance the way is there any chance the way this plays out that basically they have them dead to rights and they say, look, if you know, if you don't run for office and you go away. We kind of this. We'll, we'll just put this thing away. I mean, is that is that a naive ending to this thing? Yeah. Well, I think it's a naive ending in the sense that I don't think he will agree to it, and I don't think the Justice Department will offer it. I so think neither. So that's not coming from either way. Neither side. That's he, not. That's he not. Will, uh, let, let me let me let me let me unpack it just a little bit more for you. He won't agree to it because it doesn't get him off. It doesn't save him from being prosecuted. Um. First of all, it would be an admission that he did something wrong, which right. he will not do at this point, um, psychologically incapable. But also, it would not be a good deal for him because he can still be um, prosecuted in New Jersey, Georgia, and Georgia, obviously, and, right. New, and, and New York. He has that case in New York, and there are actually there have been rumblings afoot that there may be other states investigating fake elector schemes in their states. I mean, who knows? But the, he, he can't get rid of the state charges that way. 
okay, by working out a deal with the federal government. He'd have to work out a universal settlement with all the potential entities that are, that are, that are bringing criminal litigation against him. And I just think that would be hard to do. And, and secondly, I don't think the Justice Department, even though that was the Agnew deal, when Agnew pledged mm-hmm. Nono Cotondere yes. to um, the bribery that he had committed as, as I mean, county county commissioner of Baltimore County and then later governor of Maryland. You know, he pled guilty to that in 1973. And part of the deal was he wouldn't get prison time. He pleads no low contendere, which is no contest, not guilty, not the not exactly not guilty, but just he's not going to confess the charges. And then he consented to resign from office and never seek public office again, I think. And in, in the Justice Department manual, I defer to the prosecutors who actually have read the manual in ways that I haven't because I'm only a civil lawyer. But in the Justice Department manual, when it, in, in the sections dealing with um, the enforcement of the criminal law against public officials and public candidates, public candidates for public office, that is one of the things that they say is a reasonable object of a prosecution is to get the corrupt person out of government mm-hmm. and not back into government. And that is actually worth, that is something that the government will, is, is allowed to place value on in deciding what kind of a plea bargain it's going to make with a, uh, a political, a political, a, a, a criminal defendant in a political corruption case. That said, the problem with the Justice Department making this kind of proposal to Trump would be Trump would immediately go out and say on Truth Social, on Fox, yeah, yeah. on Newsmax, you see, that's the purpose. That's of what they this. wanted this for. Yeah. Which yeah. One? They want to take me out because yeah. I represent you. Yeah. So I, I don't see how they get to it. It would be in some sense, could be an element for a reasonable disposition. It would have been probably the, if, they, if, if, if Nixon had not been tried, it probably would have been, and, and Nixon pled, um, it probably would have been part of that plea deal too, but I don't see how you yeah. get to that. You don't get because there. you would not be because you you are not negotiating with people who are acting in good faith. Yeah, you mentioned Georgia. Georgia seems as open as shut as this. Am, am, am I missing something? There's a fo- there's a yeah. phone call. There's a recording. I mean, I, I, that one kind of no. seems slam dunk. And Jack Smith obviously and his folks are yeah. busy working away. But let's play that one. Let's war game that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think those cases are pretty good. I, I don't think they are as simple as the documents case. The documents case is like, you have these physical objects, he has them, he knows he has them, he didn't give them back, he hid them, and he lied about them. It's just like, it's like it is like it is not that much com- more complicated than what the prosecutors and agents call like a nickel and dime drug bust case that you might see on a, on a cop show. It, it isn't that hard. Um, that, that's, that said, in comparison, January 6th has all these different layers to it. Much, much more difficult. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's difficult because it's just, there was a lot of going on. They were doing a lot of potentially illegal things in different directions with different people, the fake electors in all the different states, the attempt to lie to state legislatures, the attempt to coerce, uh, Vice President Pence into violating the Constitution and committing fraud. The, the, you know, there's so many different, and then the 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 incite the potential incitement of violence and the failure to intervene um, when the violence occurred. Which you know, I don't know whether that's going to be charged, but there are just many many aspects. And then there are multiple. This is more like the mafia case where the the 
the, the capo di capo is insulated by the consigliere and then yeah. by the soldiers. And then you've got, you know, the other families and you've got, it's just like you, you have to put together. And that's why I think, um, that's why, uh, uh, Bonnie Willis is looking at a Georgia Rico case, but it involves a lot more moving parts. It involves a lot more moving parts than the Mar-a-Lago documents case, which is basically just Trump and this poor schmuck Nauda moving the shit around and then him lying to his lawyers. It's literally, you could fit all the people who, who could put him away in, in, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a half of a New York city studio. So, so, so explain, explain to me, so what's going to cause your old party to find religion? You know, the latest polls, it's still, he still has got a grip on the party. It does not matter. So what, how many, I mean, Joe very famously every day goes 2017, 2018, 2019. I mean, you know, so losing doesn't seem to be the elixir or the tonic to get them to, to see religion and walk away from this man. So what happened? Play this out. What happens? When do they finally just say- I, I, it's incomprehensible. I, I don't know. I mean, it is incomprehensible. And if you had talked to me in 2019, because I remember thinking of this and saying this, I always thought that sooner or later, a core, a, a sufficient number of Republicans would say, oh, I can't take this shit anymore. He's out. Of, he's just, I, I can't defend it. it. It gives me a headache. I, 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 I can't deal with it. We, we got to get rid of this guy. And I always thought that day would come. It never came. 2019, impeachment, you know, the Mueller report didn't come. 2019, he extorts Zelensky, didn't come. Acquitted, didn't come. Um, you know, shining lights into people's rectums or, or, or taking Clorox, didn't, you know, that wasn't even that wasn't enough. <laughs> well, uh, I thought, of thousands of people I, I thought losing would be the answer. Losing, losing the house, losing, losing the, losing the house. No, losing the fucking election. No, and and then in conducting a coup where he tries to take, he tries to end the constitutional transfer of power in in, in this democracy. Oh well, yeah, yeah that's concerning. That that would that concern them for about four hours. So I don't, you know, I. I I always thought it was going to be like, you ever see the picture of that bridge out in, I don't know, like it was Washington State and it's kind of swerving and all of a sudden mm -hmm. it collapses mm -hmm. one day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like you never know when it's going to, or that Minnesota bridge. You just never know when something is just going to, there are cracks, it's weak, and you never know exactly, or the Berlin Wall, you never know uh, these spring revolutions, you never know when it's all, ever, all going to burst over. I had always thought it was going to happen long before two impeachments, two indictments, a, and, and, and a coup, and Clorox injections. I thought it would happen long before this. So I don't, I, I find it hard to sort of get excited to say, this is it, this is finally it. I don't necessarily believe that because I do think that there are a sufficient number of people in the Republican Party who basically are tuned out of reality because reality is painful. Reality um, isn't fun. Reality lets you know, tells you that Don, that you've been, you know, been a fool for five or six or seven years supporting this charlatan who's basically done nothing but lie to you. I, I think that I, I don't have hope that he's not going to get. I think he will get the nomination. I agree. That said. 
I think he's going to destroy the Republican Party one way or the other. And I think the reason is, is because he's, you know, the, these people who are engaging in this, they don't care about winning general elections. They care about winning their primaries and having a perch by which they can spout out crazy things and make money, frankly. I mean, it's, it's, it's partly grift. It's not about governance. It's about grift and performance art. And it's not, uh, you know, we have basically a significant portion of the Republican Party that is not interested in governance. Whereas, and then there are still people who are interested in governance. I mean, you may not like them, but Mitch McConnell is actually interested in governance. Yes, yes. Um, and, and there are a lot of Republicans who would just like tomorrow, if they could push a button and not be held responsible, they would, they would, they would send um, Donald Trump to Mars. Yeah. Uh, and but they, but they you know but they can't do that because they don't want to pay the political price and that's course, the cowardice that we see. And I don't think we have a and even if we had a critical mass of people finally saying basta, I don't know what I, I still think he's, he could get the nomination. Yeah, I um, agree. But we're going to see. I think we're going to see a lot of internal warfare about Trump for the first time since 2016, which is good. I agree. You see. Uh, by the way. You, you, you see, obviously, Christie, I think, is great out there. I mean, he's not going to win an election, but, I mean, it's great to have a, pro, a really smart prosecutor out there. And you're starting to see, you know, you, you're starting to see some little cracks. You know, you, you had the other day. Yeah. You know, you're starting to see with a core group of guys. And so I, I'm starting to see it a little bit. And I, I think that you'll, you no, know. I, it, I am. I am. I just don't. I just don't. I just don't know. If it's enough. We're going to get this final collapse before he gets the nomination. But I, you know, the remember the movie um, Marathon Man with with uh, Lawrence Olivier. Is it safe? Is it safe? Is it safe? Are you going to? And I think that's a great analogy. Is it safe to come out? Is it safe to come out against him? And I think yeah, I, I think people are starting to feel it's safer. They're pro- yeah. starting to show a little courage and showing it's a little safer. And and you you know and and I and I, I you know and it hats off to Barr. I mean, I know you can criticize Barr for a lot of shit. Got there late, but he got um, but he got but there, but he got there. He got there late. He, he's he's there where he needs to be now. And I know people say, oh well, he says he'd vote for the guy anyway if he got the nomination, and that he that he was a victim of a witch hunt for many years. It's like okay, I, I know that's all bullshit and, and and it's annoying, but let him say that to convince the people. Yeah. Who need to be convinced? Who believe that? And you know why? Take on you know we want them to be convinced that Donald Trump is bad for them and bad for the country. And if somebody's you know if somebody wants to say, and I did, I did this funny impression of a of, of, of a fake presidential candidate on MSNBC a week ago. It's like if these people want to say we love Donald Trump, he was the greatest president of all time. But it's just time to move on. Let him say like, it. Yes. Let them say it. Let yeah. them say that. Yeah. yeah. I'll pay for that. Yeah. Hey, before we go, you've been so generous with your time. Uh, obviously, you married to Kellyanne Conway. You guys announced your separation six months ago. You obviously had a very stressful time. You guys were in the public. I mean, we don't have to go into any of the details. I just want to know how your family's doing now. I mean, obviously, uh, you got four kids. Yeah, everybody's good. Look, everybody's good. Kids, kids are great. Kids are great. Um, you know, they're moving on. Um, two of them are moving on out of high school and um, two of them are just plugging away. And, uh, you know, they, they, are, they are just wonderful kids. And you guys are on decent terms. You guys, you announced, you and Kelly. Yeah, we're, you know, we're, it's all fun. We're, 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 we're co-parenting and we've promised to each other to, to co-parent as best we can. And that's what we're going to do. All right. Good for you, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time. I've been a big fan for years. Yep. Uh, you are one of the smartest appreciate guys it. in the room, whatever room you're in. 
And thanks for taking the time. George Conway. Uh, no, I'm more of a wise ass. <laughs> you and me both. Thanks for taking the time, man. I really enjoyed it.